But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us today. This is the word of God upon which Keith is going to base his message. This is the word of God that is to speak to our hearts today. Let's pray for our pastor as he comes to speak on its behalf. Let us pray. Lord God, we sit poised and ready. We have praised you from the depths of our hearts. We have attended to your word, and we still hear it resonating in our spirit as we come to this moment. So we are ready. We are ready to hear your word interpreted for us this morning. We are ready to hear it explained. We are ready to be inspired and instructed. We are ready to be informed and invited to do the work that is present here in this scripture. We ask, O God, that you might surround with your many angels, that you might give shields to Keith as he comes to speak, so not so that he might have flawlessness of words, though... If you desire that, he can, but that the message might be flawless and it might penetrate our hearts, that we might be better Christians in our activities, in our hearts, our inclination and our desires when we leave this place than when we came. Lord, nothing more, nothing less. We ask you bless Keith this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. There, there's a few verses in uh, the book of Philippians that we've been going through that are or what I call like plaque material, you know, the kind of stuff that you, that you see uh, cross-stitch on pillows or whatever, or that, you know, you might have it on a coffee cup or something like that. And we're moving toward one of them in chapter 4, verse 13. But, but really, there's a couple ideas that Paul's pressing in on us toward with regard to where we were heading in Philippians. And, and if you remember, just to kind of catch you up if you're new, but as Paul began this book of Philippians, he begins by talking about his own situation imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, writing this letter to encourage this church to help them grow despite their suffering and saying, hey, look at me as I imitate Christ, imitate me. And, and then, of course, he, be, he points everything towards Christ, who, whom he says, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a man and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, <clears throat> that in all things God might grant him everything. And, and, and Paul begins to point us all to this, this prize toward Christ, of Christ toward which he is straining in his life 
to get to. And then last week, Pastor Mike talked to us about all of the, the things that Paul had accomplished in his life, all of the things that he turned away from when he began to follow Jesus. You know, all of, all of his, his accomplishments in terms of his academic accomplishments, in terms of his professional achievements, everything having to do with who he was, he says to us here today, I now count all of it as loss so that I can attain this amazing thing in Christ Jesus, this resurrection from the dead. It's clear what Paul values, isn't it? <clears throat> it's clear that he values what Christ has done for him more than what he has done. You see, you can tell a lot about what a person values by what their goals are, right? You, you can look at someone's goals and say, okay, well, I, I get where this person's going today. For example, if, if you went to, to uh, Home Depot today and you saw Pastor Mike uh, going through the Home Depot with a cart filled with gardening supplies and, and potting soil and plants and all that kind of stuff, you'd say, well, boy, Mike, uh, I see what you value today. It's going to be hard work outside. You, you, you want to uh, increase the beauty of your yard and, and what he's valuing is some yard work, right? You, you wouldn't look at that and say, oh, Mike, that's going to be awesome. You're going to go home and watch the game today on TV, are you? Now, if you saw me at Hy-Vee and I had my, you know, my chips and my dip and my, my you know, soda pop or whatever, and you wouldn't think I was headed for a day filled with work, would you? You see, you could tell a lot about what a person's got going on by seeing their goals, but sometimes it's, it's hard because we're not sure what our goals are. See, the opposite can be true too. You can tell a lot about what a person values by what their goals are, but you can tell what their goals are by what they value. I, I had this conversation with my kids a few years ago where I sat them down. I don't know. I, mean, I must have read like one of these like, you know, leadership books or something, which I read those every once in a while. So I grabbed my, you know, like five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old at the time, and I, I, I pulled them aside individually. I'm like, all right, I want to talk to you about what your goals are for this year. You ready for this conversation? You know, and, and they're looking at me like, Dad, are we in trouble? And I'm like, No, I just want to know, you know, what your goals are for this coming year. You know, what, what do you what do you value? What do you want to what do you want to achieve? What do you want to accomplish? What how are you going to structure your life in such a way to achieve your goals? And I think, you know, Drew's probably like, I just want to play my Game Boy, Daddy. You know, can I can I go now? <clears throat> I mean, clearly their minds weren't quite ready for for a conversation about, you know, goals and all that stuff. But it's easy for me to see what they were by looking at what they chose to do with their free time, right? With their resources. You can tell a lot about what a person values by what they say their goals are. But you can also tell what their goals are by what they value right now. I'm going to keep saying that today because I think it's important that we get that because for Paul, he looks at his goal not as worldly advancement or achievement, but his goal as the heavenward prize that Christ has for him. So it's clear from this text that he doesn't value what he has done. He values what Christ has done. He doesn't think that he can stand on his own accomplishments. Rather, he chooses to stand on Christ's accomplishments. It's as if he recognizes that if he wants to receive what God has for him, he has to first let go of whatever he's holding on to himself. Now, Follow me through Home Depot again. You got Pastor Mike in his, in his cart with his gardening supplies, right? Well, I've told you guys before, I used to live in this, this uh, old house in the small town that we were renovating. So while we were in that process, we used to watch a lot of like, you know, Home and Garden Channel and, and uh, you know, uh, DIY Network, all that kind of stuff to learn how to do projects and learn how to things. And one of my favorite shows on, on uh, one of those channels was this show called Desperate Landscapes where this guy would go to like Lowe's. You seen this show? He'd go to Lowe's, and he would, like, go up and, like, 
talk to random people that were there working on a project in their yard. And, you know, they tried to stage it so that it appeared that he just was like a stranger walking up to him. I'm sure the camera crews gave it away. But he would walk up to people and he'd be like, hey, uh, so what you working on today? You know, and, and it'd be like, Pastor Mike, well, I'm going to, you know, plant some hostas or, or uh, you know, put some daisies in or something like that, you know. And, 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 and this guy's name was Ahmed. He would say, well, you know what? How would you like if I just took over this project? And they'd be like, what do you mean? And he's just like, just, you know, sign your life away here and I'll come over with my friends and my crew and my resources and, and we're going to turn your yard into something special. And of course, you know, they would and, and he'd show up, he'd roll up at their house and it was usually like in the backyard, you know, they had, they did what they could, right? You know, they had their pink flamingo in the yard or, or they, maybe they got real creative and went to a craft fair and bought one of those like, you know, old ladies bending over with the big butt thing, you know, that they put in the yard and, and, and they, they were like, they were like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're happening now, you know? And, and he'd come over and he'd be like, all right, we're going to take care of this. And his guys would roll in with their trucks and their bulldozers. And within like two days, they've completely changed the face of this property. You can't even recognize it anymore. You've got like fountains shooting fire and statues and, and you know, gas grills that you could like cook an entire hog on or something like that. I mean, it's incredible what you could do. And the people are just sitting back and they're amazed at what happened. Now, let me ask you a question. Did, would you ever think, if that guy, first of all, if, if someone named Ahmed ever rolls up to you while you're in Lowe's and asks you what you're doing, tell him whatever you say, okay? <clears throat> so if that ever were to happen, now the next thing I would give you in terms of advice is when he comes over to your house and he shows you his plans, don't weigh in on him. Don't, I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if, if, if somebody were to come up to him while his 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 talented and famous crew is tearing the place up. And she comes out with her little old lady big butt thing and says, hey, wait, put this in the yard. Don't forget my, my flamingo. You know, I, I need the, can you, can you incorporate that? So, I mean, you, you wouldn't think about that, would you? Because here's the deal. When, when you want something new, you have to let go of what's been there before. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. I'm getting around to it, you guys. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He says that when it comes to my, my faith in Christ, the, the prize that I'm trying to receive, I recognize that all the things that I have brought to the table, when compared to what Christ brings to the table, are really rubbish. They're nothing. In fact, if you really want to know the truth of what Paul says in the Greek, it's a word that I can't repeat in church. He says they're dung. He says they're manure. He says they're refuse. He says, that's my accomplishment. You see, Paul values not what he was able to do, but what Christ was able to do. You see, if you want a contractor or a landscaper to, to build a house where one once stood, you have to allow the process of the demolition to take place. You can't plant those hostas, Mike, unless you dig some holes. And the problem is, most of us don't like the digging part, do we? Because it's tough work, isn't it? It's hard to do that. I mean, I, was, I told you before, I was renovating this this bathroom one day and and I, I you know the demo process I hate that more than anything because you get messy you get dirty something will grab you and you know scratch you or cut you and drop on your foot and there's a mess and there's dust and and sometimes when you when you tear a wall down or you dig a hole you find things that you wish weren't there I was I was building a fence in my backyard one time and I dug a hole right through my neighbor's phone cable he appreciated that he didn't get any telemarketing calls for like a week. It was awesome, you know? Sometimes you, you, you dig into stuff, you find things that weren't there. 
And, and that's exactly what happens when, when, when God begins to churn up this process in us. You see, here's the deal. In order for this resurrection power to be made known in our lives that Paul is talking about, there first has to be a death. There first has to be suffering. You see, in verse 10, when Paul is talking about this, he says, look, this is my goal. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But he also says, and participation in his sufferings. Participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, in order for a new person to be brought forth, the old person must be put down. In order for a new life to emerge, the old life has to go away. And that's a process that's painful, isn't it, when it gets to reality, when it gets to human life and our spirit. That's a difficult process. If you want to be made a new person, it doesn't come without pain. It doesn't come without strife. I mean, have you ever talked to, a, to a, an addict who's trying to get clean and, and change their lives? There's a painful process they go through, isn't there? If you've ever talked to a, a a husband and wife whose marriage is headed for divorce, but they decide they want to make it work and renew their marriage. <clears throat> that can happen, but there's oftentimes pain and, and, and hurt there. And the problem is with, with a lot of us, once we, we, we want the resurrection, but, but once we start to get into the pain, a lot of times we stop because it's uncomfortable or it hurts, and we say, no thanks. Oftentimes we have projects that just never quite get finished because... We get into the difficult phase and we give up. You see, that's, that happens with life too, doesn't it? If we want that power of Christ's resurrection, if we want the new creation, then we have to be willing to embrace the suffering and the death. You see, Paul would write to the Galatians these words. He, he, he would write, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul would say, look, I had a great life. It was all going great. But the life that I have, I now consider it gone. I, know, I don't even consider myself alive in as much as who I am. Rather, it's Christ who lives in me. That's a pretty heavy deal, isn't it? Christianity is not just some sort of like, you know, behavior modification, learn a new rule, or be nicer to one another. That's not Christianity. That's not gospel. That's law. Gospel is heart transformation. Gospel is when Christ makes you into a new creation, a new person. But that can't be done without the death of the old one. You want that resurrection power. You want the joy, you got to go through the suffering. A couple months ago, we, we took the kids on the, the youth group kids on a ski trip up to Dubuque, right? Now, there's a part of that process. I'm not like, I'm not like a huge ski person, you know, but like there's a part, I, I, but I really like it. I really like, you know, that rush of going down the hill and finally you're, you're, you're you know, just flying down the hill and it's, it's pretty exciting. But there's one part of the whole process that, to be honest with you, completely terrifies me. And it's not just the, you know, car right up to Dubuque with the teenagers and, you know, their 900-ounce Mountain Dews and, you know, weeks worth of groceries for an hour car ride, you know. Uh, some of you parents, man, you, you send your kids on, a, on an hour trip, it's like, you know, a 24-pack of root beer, 
family-sized bag of chips or whatever. It's, it's great. I love it because, you know, usually leftovers are in the back of my car. But anyway, you know, it's all fun. But the, but the part of it that honestly terrifies me the most is the ski lift. I'll be honest, I'm scared of heights. I am not just scared. I'm terrified. of. It's a good thing God made me so low to the ground because, I, you know, if I was much taller, I'd be walking around like this all the time. I'm, you know, I, I, seriously, even on like the bunny hill, right? You know, the bunny hill where, where theor- theoretically you could probably hang from, the, from your arm and, and drop to the bout without, without any real injury. I'm the, guy, I'm the only guy at the place that pulls that bar over, right? You know, everyone else just sitting there. I'm terrified that some, you know, some eighth graders, you know, behind me kicking his legs and the thing's doing this and that little cable might just pop off that pulley. You know, and I'm like reminding myself that never happens. That never happens. That never. And then of course it stops right at the top. You know. Anyway, but what would my ski trip be if I was got to the bottom and wouldn't face my fear to get to the top? Right? Am I going to walk all the way back up? See, if you if you want that new powerful experience, you got to be willing to face some of those fears. You got to be willing to dig some holes. You got to be willing to tear some walls down so that God can do what He wants to do. But in order to do that. You have to understand this whole, un, this whole thing about the past. Because too many of us are still allowing our past to define us. And, 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 and the, the point I want to make today, this number two in these three points is, is this. That you are not defined by your past in terms of either your sins or your accomplishments. You're not defined by your past sins or by your past accomplishments. Now, now that's important for you to remember because when you recognize that you haven't yet taken hold of what Christ has for you, Paul would say that, you recognize that you're pushing toward it, and that's a process. And what you've done in the past does not have to own or define you. Now, for some of you, that's very encouraging, although you don't completely believe it, And for others of you, it's very terrifying, although you don't completely believe it. Now, here's here's what I mean. See, for some of us, our our past is not something that we are proud of. For some of us, we have stuff in our past that that we're ashamed of and that we wish with all of our heart weren't there. And, And the truth be told, we've allowed some of those past regrets and things to continue to keep us paralyzed from doing anything in in the present. We've allowed them to define us. We've allowed them to dictate to us the kind of person that we have to settle for being. We've allowed them to, to dictate to us what kind of ministry we can do or what kind of influence we can have in this world because of the things that we've done. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was meeting with a, a, a mom and a dad one time about some decisions that their young daughter was making and, and they were they were discouraged by some of the choices that she was making in her in her young life and and I said to them well well what are you going to are you going to talk to her about it are you going to confront her about it are you going to going to help her you're her mom for crying out loud you're her dad this that's your job and they said well we can't really say anything to her because we made the same mistake when we were her age can you imagine and i heard that i was like wow now that might sound all like, you know, culturally, you know, hip and, and tolerant and all that kind of fun stuff we like to, to, to wear on our, on our, on our badge, but, but here's the truth. It's just stupid. I don't know. Maybe I could, but, but it, it's just stupid, seriously, because here's the deal. 
If someone you love is making a choice and you've lived with the consequence of that same choice from your past, then, then what kind of loving thing is it to say to that person, well, just go ahead because I'm not the one who can talk. Can you imagine? None of us could tell anybody anything about anything if, if, if we were all perfect, right? See, the truth is, if you've made mistakes in your past, if, if you've got things in your past that you regret and are ashamed of, that should give you all the more motivation to help others not repeat them, especially the ones that you love. But too many of us are, are, man, we're just, we're shackled by our past. And what Paul would say is, you don't have to be, I'm not. You see, as, as, as great as Paul's pedigree was for righteousness, and we'll get to that in a minute, he also had some stuff in his past he didn't really appreciate. <clears throat> you know, when Paul first became a Christian, everybody was scared of him. Do you know why? Because he was the guy going around putting Christians in jail and approving of their death. Do you think that as a, as a church planner, apostle of Jesus Christ, he, he sits around a campfire and says, oh man, wasn't it great when we threw all those rocks at Stephen's head until he died? Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, the good old days, right? Oh man, well, I'm, I'm redeemed now, but man, you know, we had, our, we had our good times, right? I don't think so. I, I think for Paul, he probably had some pretty deep regrets about the way that he persecuted Christ's church. But you know what's interesting is he didn't let those things stop him from doing what God wanted him to do. May that be a lesson to you. Don't let your past define you because it doesn't define you where God's coming from. Not at all. Your past sins, God has cast them away from his mind. He's removed them from you as far as the east is from the west, the Bible would say. When Christ looks at you, he does not see you in terms of what you did in your youth or in your, 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 in your last week if you've repented and turned from your sin. He sees you instead as spotless and redeemed and cleansed. He sees you with the righteousness of Christ. Some of you need to hear that today because you, your past sins are defining you. Others of you need to hear that Christ doesn't allow you to be defined by your past successes either. So you want to know what's just as bad as a person who's who's paralyzed because of their past sins and their shame and guilt. It's a person who's self-righteous and prideful and walks around with a sense of entitlement over their past successes. You see, sometimes when, when we experience success in life, we, we believe those past successes can carry us our whole life and we can find us, ourselves in a place of, of self-righteousness or of pride or of entitlement in this world, even with the kingdom of God, because of all the great things that we've done. After all, we've earned respect. We've earned prominence. We've earned the ability to, to have others admire us. But Paul would say, not so. Paul would say, everything that I've done is nothing compared to what Christ has done. The greatest pink flamingo that one could ever fashion is nothing compared to a landscape created by the team from Desperate Landscapes. Some of us need to hear that because we coast in our lives because we did some great stuff a long, long time ago. The fact is this. Our past doesn't carry us and our past shouldn't keep us prideful. We've got to move on into today. We've got to cut our losses and move heavenly forward. What does it mean to cut your losses? You've said that before probably, right? 
usually after a bad financial investment or a product that went, you know, way or a used car that you wish you never would have bought, right? Oh, we just got to cut our losses and move on, right? Well, let's talk about that for a second because I think it's a very real message for us today in the book of Philippians. Because all of us have to lose something, don't we? We've either got to lose our shame or we've got to lose our pride. It's time to cut our losses. What does it ultimately mean? You know, first of all, let's just talk about what Paul had to lose first, okay? Because he had a lot to lose. He had both pride and shame to lose. But he had some other things that he, that he lost too, didn't he? he? He lost his career. He lost his prominence. There's evidence historically to suggest that Paul may have lost his family. You know, some scholars believe that as a, as a, a Pharisee or a member of the Sanhedrin council that, that gave vote to, to execute Stephen, the requirements of that were that you be a married Jewish man. So there's some indirect evidence to say that Paul, perhaps at one point in his life, was married. We don't know the circumstances of that, but there's, there's the ability to, to consider that Paul may have lost a family in all of this. He certainly lost his financial security. He lost his comfort. He lost his plans for his life. He lost many, many things. But yet, what he said is, I count all of those things as gain. Because when you compare what I lost with what I've gained, there's no comparison. When you compare the the pink flamingo to the renewed landscape, there's no comparison. When you compare the the life of sin and pride and pain and and, and destruction with the life of Christ, there's no comparison. When you you compare the life of pride and self-righteousness and religion and all that stuff with the humility of Christ, there's, there's no comparison. Paul lost a lot of things, but ultimately to cut your losses means three things. First and foremost, it means at some point in time, you just got to quit thinking about him. You know, at some point in time, you just wake up, and that's not the first thing that you think about anymore. That's important, isn't it? I mean, those of us that are trying to get over some kind of hurt or some kind of deal, you know, if we wake up in the morning, it's all we think about day after day after day. At some point in time, we just have to stop, right? We just have to take control of our minds and say, God, I give this to you. I don't want to think about this stuff anymore. I don't want it to define me. I know it doesn't define me in terms of where you are, but Lord, help me in my thoughts to, to focus only on the things that, that matter to you. I just don't want to think about it anymore. Secondly, you have to focus on what you do have. Paul wasn't worried about what he didn't have. He was worried about what he had. You shouldn't be worried about what you don't have. You should worry about what you do. You should be thankful for it. Because what do you have? You've got a beautiful day. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got resources available. You've got a God who loves you and a church family to experience fellowship with. Sure, you have problems. Sure, there's things in your life that stress you out, but man, you have the joy of Christ. You have a Savior who has redeemed you and given you a hope and a future and given you the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your heart. You have a lot. You have all things that you need, the Bible would say. Focus on that. Focus on what you can do. Focus on what you can control. Focus on what you can contribute. Not on what somebody else is doing or what you wish you had that you don't or on something that happened in the past that you can't control anymore or can't relive anymore. 
focus on what you have. Paul certainly did that in a prison cell. He says, I don't have a lot, but I've got a friend who can write down what I say. I'm going to send it to you. I got a God who has created me for a purpose, created me for good works to do that I've been predestined to do. Focus on what you have. It's a lot. More than you think it would be. And thirdly, you move on. You move on. You don't just sit there. You don't just dwell. I think it was Mark Twain, but I could be wrong, who said, it's okay to look at the past, just don't stare. You can look back and reminisce or, or learn lessons or, you know, rejoice. But you can't stare at it and live your life there and wish that that's where you were. Sometimes in life, you just got to keep moving on. You press on to what you value. You press on. Even though there's got to be some holes dug, some drywall ripped down, whatever might have to happen, some ski lifts to ride or whatever your deal might be. There's going to be some stuff you've got to go through, but you're in process and God's working on you. You see, you're walking through your life with the stuff in your cart, getting ready to make your plans and do your projects, and I want you to imagine that Jesus comes up to you and says, hey, what have you got planned for the day? Why don't you let me come over and I'll show you my plans. And you know what God's plans are? They're awesome. And you know how good a contractor God is? He's the best. And you know what else one of those cross-stitched verses from Philippians are? That he who began a good work in you, remember this from chapter one, will be faithful to complete it. God isn't gonna get out of of your yard before he's done with the work. He's not gonna stop showing up. He's gonna stay with you. He's going to finish the job in you and in me. We thank him for that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are just glorifying you today, God, because of well, you're able to take our loss and turn it into great gains, Lord. I pray that you'd help, Lord, those of us here today that are shackled by our, our burdens of, of past regrets, Lord, and, and help us to leave them behind. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are puffed up because of our past successes to Lord be humbled and submissive to your grace and your work in our lives Lord help us to move toward that resurrection power we thank you God for for choosing us and for working in our hearts Lord may we submit to you may we rejoice in who you are and may we value more than anything the prize for which you've called us heavenward. In Jesus' name, amen.